Welcome to episode 10 of the Countryland Songwriter Series, where you'll hear from some of the most successful artists and songwriters working in Nashville today. Country music is all about storytelling, and this is where you'll discover the stories from the people themselves of how they managed to find their way into such a competitive industry and rise to the top what motivates and inspires them, and what they've learned along the way. Born in Waldron, Arkansas, and raised in Mammoth Spring, Ashley McBride first showed an interest in music when she was just three years old. It was when she tried to play her father's guitar, and her parents then decided to buy her one of her very own. After learning to play it, years later she wrote her first song at the age of 17. Initially, she was shy about performing in front of people, and it wasn't until she enrolled at Arkansas State University, where she played in the marching band, that she began performing her songs for those outside of her immediate family. In 2005, McBride recorded a self-titled album's worth of songs and released it herself the following year. Her dream had always been to move to Nashville and break into the music business, and in 2007, she made the move and relocated to Music City. She assembled a band and played any club or bar that would have her, and she began making a name for herself. In 2010, she and her band won a statewide Battle of the Bands competition in Tennessee, and in 2011, she released her second album, Elspound, again through her own label. More touring through the South followed, and in addition to headlining her own club dates, she got opening slots for stars such as Willie Nelson, Chris Stapleton and Hank Williams Jr. In 2016, she put out an eight-song EP called Jalopies and Expensive Guitars. This helped to build a buzz around her music, and country star Eric Church began singing her praises. He described her as a whiskey-drinking badass and invited her to join him on stage to perform her song, Bible and a 44. After this, more and more people began to sit up and take notice of Ashley McBride, and she finally broke through with her single, A Little Dive Bar in Dahlonica. It found an appreciative audience on streaming services, which then led to her making her first appearance at the Grand Ole Opry in June of 2017. A year later, she returned with her major label debut, Girl Going Nowhere. The album earned McBride her first Grammy nomination for Best Country Album, at the beginning of 2019, she closed out the album cycle with the release of its title track as a single. It earned Grammy nominations for Best Country Song and Best Solo Performance. At the end of the year, she then launched her second album, Never Will, with the hit single One Night Standards. In March of 2022, she returned to the UK and Ireland to perform at the C2C Festival, and I, Stuart Banford, chatted with her in Dublin. The Countryline Songwriters Series with Ashley McBride. This is your second time playing C2C yes. Dublin. Uh, you played the festival back in 2019. Now, I don't know about you, but sitting in the crowd during your performance that time, I felt almost in the air there was something special happening between you and the Irish country music fans, which was certainly built upon when you came back in October of that year and played the Academy. You see, as a guy who plays modern American country on the radio five days a week, I can tell you the fans here, they have such 
admiration and appreciation and respect for you and what you do. Are you aware of that? Can you feel it? You can definitely feel it. You definitely. And there's this, one of my favorite things in the whole world is the exchange between us on a stage and the audience, you know, we're throwing that energy out and then they throw it back. And it's, it's, it's a feeling that I'm glad it doesn't come in a bottle or a pill because we'd all be in trouble because we're all hooked to that feeling. You can definitely feel it, especially here in Ireland. Yeah, yeah. It's funny how, you know, the early music that we hear in life very much shapes our taste. And certainly as a musician, it sort of forms the blueprint of then what becomes your sound. I was reading that, you know, your mother, she would have played around the house like the Carpenters and John Denver, your father, Chris Christopherson, Willie Nelson. And really that sort of melting pot is your sound today, isn't it? Yeah, it's responsible for things sounding the way they do. My mom was so cool about putting on show tunes and didn't shove it down our throat or anything, but she would be like, what is this? She's like, oh, that's a musical and it's called The Music Man. Or I'd be like, what is that? And she's like, that's Beethoven. And um, lots and lots of the Carpenters, The Love and Spoonful, of course, John Denver and Alison Krauss and Chris Christopherson and all that, yeah. And it, when you mix it all up in this little frame, it sounds like this when it comes out. And your father bought you a guitar when you were nine, and uh, as one of six kids, um, I laughed when I heard that your brother Daniel would throw his shoes at you when you were practicing, yeah? I don't know why he always chose shoes, but yes, <laughs> our, our bedrooms were often, um, growing up over the years, were just across the hall from one another, and I would have my door open, and I'd be picking around on my guitar, and you'd hear, whap! <laughs> but you're left-handed and you play guitar right-handed. Yeah, usually I make a joke of that and say, well, I use both hands. It's hard to it's hard to play guitar one-handed. But yeah, they, no one told me that there was an option to play it left-handed when I was growing up. Okay. So I just sort of learned to do it the way I saw other people do it. I think my mom didn't correct me on purpose. That way I could play whatever guitar I came across. And it was here in the Lacey J. Dalton song, 16th Avenue, that sort of lit a fuse within you. It was the thing that made you realize that you wanted to move to Nashville ultimately and become a songwriter. And when you told your mother this, she took you on a trip out there. What was it about that song in particular that really spoke to you? The whole, the entire contents of the lyrics of that song, when I heard that awesome Lacey J. Dalton, a little bit of a gravel in her voice, and she said, you know, from the corners of the country, from the cities and the farms, with years and years of living tucked up underneath their arms, they'd walk away from everything to see a dream come true. God bless the boys who make the noise on 16th Avenue. And I was like, this is a magical fairy tale land, and this is what I want to do. I want to be one of those people with years of living tucked up underneath my arms. Mm -hmm. And growing up, you've said you were quite shy, but you, you got a job singing in a diner. It was like a, a musical sort of theater sort of thing. Um, <laughs> Tell me about that because, you know, certainly, I mean, that experience, getting that admiration and encouragement from others, surely that's probably a massive part of the reason why today you're sitting in the Three Arena Dublin about to play for thousands. Oh, absolutely. And working at a dinner theatre, it helped me come out of my shell. And I found out that as long as I'm entertaining, I feel okay. Um, that I would learn that later in life, that most of my anxiety and, and being shy and all that just is anytime I'm not singing or writing or something like that but you can fake it till you make it as far as as getting out of your shyness and i just forced myself out of it enough that here we are and you went to arkansas state on a french horn scholarship yeah and again you know when you dig deep into your back story you know it's it eventually makes sense you know your mother again was playing classical music around the house so as somebody who spent the majority of their life, you know, learning, playing instruments. Um, how incredible was it to be a uh, CMA, like, artist, music ambassador? That was really cool. Yeah. Um, especially, 
it was so important at the time because music educators specifically were, it's hard to teach a music class, like a band class, when your students aren't with you. So when the CMA Foundation reached out and said, would you do some, some music lessons and we'll just video, and like I, I did it, um, Jimmy Allen did it, Lindsay L did it, it was really cool. Mm -hmm. And it also shows the kiddos a different side of us. We're not just entertainers on a stage, we do love to read and perform music. And at one point you formed, it was a Nickel Creek cover band with two guys. It was called Dry County. Dry County. Yeah. Yes. And you would uh, go to Memphis, you'd play coffee shops and open mics. And this then ultimately led to you playing in bars. And then you were gigging five nights a week. So obviously something had to give. You dropped out of school. You moved to Nashville. When you first arrived there, having been there and like, I can appreciate how intimidating it must be and how difficult. Like I have so much respect for anybody who gets signed or does anything. Did you find instantly like, this is where I was meant to be? Or was there a wee bit of, mm, what have I done? Oh, there's constantly a feeling of what have I done? Because the person serving your food or the person tending the bar does the same thing you can do and they might be better than you. And you just have to get to town and accept that and just realize that um, you're gonna have that what am I doing feeling pretty much for the rest of your life if you're gonna choose to do this. And arriving in Nashville not knowing anybody um, was really terrifying, but I'm so happy I did it. And there was a show you played at uh, Third and Lindsley and uh, John Peets, who's now ultimately your manager, he happened to be there. I mean, such a significant encounter, right? Oh, absolutely. And then I, I knew, like I knew his name, he introduced himself, it was very nice. And then when I went home and Googled him after that, I was like, oh my gosh, I hope this works out. And then the first meeting I had with John, I knew that this, this was going to be my home. And he does such a fantastic job with all of us. And, and luckily, I get the opportunity to work with other acts that he manages, too. So, like Brothers Osborne, um, I just made a record with um, John Osborne producing. Okay. It's really an interesting project we worked on. Wow, 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 wow. Um, you know, yeah, yourself, Eric Church, Brothers Osborne, Brad Eldridge, these are people who aren't afraid to take chances, you know, and challenge um, the public's perception of just when you think you know who Ashley McBride is, then you'll come and surprise us. Does he, do you think, see that in artists and that's what attracts him to them? Or is that something he brings out in the artist? He definitely notices that in, in your fiber and in your fabric. And then he gives you permission verbatim. Here's official permission to be only yourself. That was a really important thing for me to hear. Mm -hmm. Uh, your collaboration with Carly Pierce never wanted to be that girl. I mean, yeah. it's just one music event of the year at the ACMs. Uh, you and Carly co-wrote it with Shane McAnally. I mean, we're hammering it on the radio over here. Uh, tell me a bit about the writing of this song, would you? Never wanted to be that girl. I never wanted to hate myself. Thought this kind of I wanted to write together for a long time before we were able to but when I found out finally we were gonna to write together I came in the room she and Shane had already been in there a couple of minutes and she said what do you think about us writing a duet and I said oh that's what I was gonna suggest as well but we're gonna to have to be careful because the great female duets that are out there we're not going to be able to beat them 
we have to do something a little bit different. And this was right during the time that Carly's heart was still just in the shredder. And I said, if, you know, if it's, if it hurts too much, just cry uncle, that's all you have to do. And she said, no, I think we should just dive in. Mm -hmm. And it was really, it was interesting and it solidified our admiration for each other too, to just sit there and, and be like, ah, here's the last time I went through someone's phone. Like, let's put this in a lyric. Um, it was really interesting and I think pretty therapeutic for both of us that day. And you've toured with some of the biggest names in the genre. I mean, Miranda Lambert, Luke Combs. Uh, you've opened for George Strait yeah. in Las Vegas. Tell me about those experiences. Oh boy, <laughs> opening for George Strait is fantastic. <laughs> he is um, very intimidating, but very, very kind, very handsome. Um, being with Miranda and being with Luke, I think I've learned from those three specifically how to treat people and how to take care of your camp and how to take care of your crew. Mm -hmm. um, I've always felt really welcome around Miranda. Uh, you know, Luke is always doing something really nice for us. Uh, Mr. Strait invited me to have shots of tequila with him after his show. Um, so that has really taught us the way things should operate. And I, I got to really hand it to them for shaping the next generation of people that know how to take care of people. The Countryline Songwriters Series with Ashley McBride. More episodes from this series are available on the Countryline app and website, or just search for the Countryline Songwriters Series wherever you normally get your podcasts.